Well, amen. He is worthy. That may be one of my favorite all-time songs, I'm not sure. But it certainly speaks to the worthiness of Christ because of the sacrifice He made and because of the resurrection that took place. If you have your Bibles there with you in your home, I hope you will take it and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look together at what the Apostle Paul said was the significance of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, I'm going to continue this morning that the resurrection is the single most central, important event of all of human history. It is the thing that everything kind of hinges on, and especially all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If you could disprove the resurrection, you would be able to disprove and eliminate Christianity immediately. It's just that simple. And men have tried to do it for centuries. Men have tried to do it generation after generation. In our own day, Richard Dawkins, the famous new atheist, has made this statement about Christ and about the accounts in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, nobody knows who the four evangelists were, but they almost certainly never met Jesus personally. Much of what they wrote is in no sense an honest attempt at history. The Gospels are ancient fiction. He said that in his book, The God Delusion. Dawkins would have us believe that those evangelists, those gospel writers who said that they were with Christ, who said that they had a relationship with Christ, who said they traveled with Him, they ate with Him, they prayed with Him, they, they, they saw Him do miracle after miracle, that, that they never really knew Him, they never met Him at all, that He was just a figment of their imagination that they began to draw upon. If Dawkins is correct, you could almost imagine some kind of a a dialogue taking place between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sitting somewhere, maybe in a pub somewhere, and saying, you know, Luke saying to them, let's have another round of drinks. I have an idea. I want to run by you. Luke being a historian himself as well as a medical doctor. And John would say, sure, what's on your mind, Luke? Luke said, you probably heard about the Nazarene named Jesus who was crucified yesterday. I think we could, he could be the perfect candidate for a fake Messiah project. Mark said, there's one tiny problem. He's dead. Luke said, yeah, but that means we can control the narrative. He's dead. That's good. We'll be in charge of his reputation from the very beginning. Matthew quite rationally said, well, who in the world would follow a dead Messiah? Luke said, nobody. That's why we'll begin with a resurrection narrative. And we'll build a resurrection myth. We'll hire some thugs, and they'll say they fought off the guards and stole the body, and, and, and they'll be able, we'll be able to say he was, he was stolen there. But we'll get a group of people who will say, oh, but we saw him. Because John would say, but isn't a missing corpse just as good as a resurrection? Yeah, but if we can get some people to believe, if we can persuade some of Jesus' friends to spend the next 30 years telling everybody that he's risen from the dead, even if, it means, even if it means sticking to their story, means imprisonment and even being killed. Mark said, okay, what then? He said, well, to make the conspiracy credible, you'll need precise details. So we'll invent some stories where Jesus interacts with people in specific locations. Matthew said, won't people disprove those stories by just asking questions and asking around and visiting those places? Luke said, don't worry about that. 
we'll invent a synagogue where somebody's healed and we'll give the person a name and, and we'll talk about who he is and his daughter and all these things and nobody will take time to fact check that. They'll, they'll just swallow the whole story. Well, you could go on and continue building that narrative to where they find this guy named Saul who is a Pharisee and has given his whole life to Judaism who will now go about just to get, see what people will do by saying, hey, he's risen, he appeared to me, I'm a changed man. And all of a sudden, you've got this thing spreading like wildfire, except one thing. Nobody gives their lives for something they know to be a lie. Nobody gives up everything they own and goes out into the world proclaiming something that they know not to be true. You see, Dawkins has a basic problem. Dawkins thinks that these men whom he would consider simpletons, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and he a great academic and great scholar and great intellect, these simpletons came up with a plan and a story that could never have been thought of even by Dawkins in his greatest moment. See, the problem is throughout history, men have tried to disprove the resurrection and they've always focused on that. Because they know if they can disprove the resurrection, the Christian church is finished. The Christian church is over. Hear what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Follow along as I read this. Paul says, writing to the church at Corinth, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you now stand by which you also are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, what God gave me. That which I received by revelation from God, Paul says, this is what I received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now. Although some have died. Some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. And then to the, all the apostles. And last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me. He showed himself. To me also. For I am the least of the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God in me that was doing the laboring. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believe. What is it about the resurrection that Paul is making so central here? He said, I want you to understand there are four things here that I, I usually call the full gospel. This is the whole gospel right there in just a couple of verses in, in, in verses 3 and 4. He said, for I delivered you that which is of first importance. Christ died. He died for our sins. We celebrate that on Good Friday. We think about him going to the cross and, and giving himself as a sacrifice and as a substitute for all who believe. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that, 
God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life and shall never perish. I mean, I mean that is believing on Christ is what the cross and Good Friday is all about. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul always makes that point. It's important to realize that what happened on that cross was not something that was just out of thin air. What happened on that cross was something that was prophesied by the prophets all the way back in Israel as they looked for the Messiah to come. Isaiah was clear that he would, be, he would suffer for our sins. He would be poured out for our sins. He would die a horrible death for our sins. So Paul says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Not according to a whim, not according to a false narrative that some fall disciples make up, not just even something that Jesus thought would be nice to proclaim. No, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Then it says he was buried. He was buried and that on the third day he was raised according to the Scriptures. So it wasn't just that Christ died according to the Scriptures. He was also raised according to the Scriptures. He came back to life after being dead now, some will want to say, well, he probably didn't really die. He, there was a whole Passover plot written back when I was in college years ago that, that was called the Passover plot. It was the idea that Jesus just kind of fainted on the cross, and they laid him somewhere to let him kind of resuscitate a little bit. And then he came back, and he convinced people, after hanging on the cross for all those hours and being pierced in his side, he, he convinced them that, well... I really was dead, but now I'm alive, and, and I'm in, in great shape. No, he came back as a fully re uh, resurrected Messiah, not as one who fainted away and somehow got a little bit of strength back and weakly limped through the lives of those disciples. The truth is, he died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised. And then when he was raised, he appeared. He appeared. Christ appeared to Peter or Cephas, then to the twelve, and to more than 500 at one time, and then to James, the apostles, and ultimately to Paul on the Damascus Road. There's a lot of things that are going on there that we have to understand gives us support and understanding of what the cross is all about and what the resurrection is all about. I mean, one of the great truths, one of the great evidences or proofs, if you will, of the resurrection of Christ is changed lives. I, I made a comment on a video we did yesterday about uh, being silent Saturday. And I said in that video, I said, you know what the disciples were doing after Christ was laid in the grave and they went that night to their own homes and they hid. They were self-quarantined. We can identify with that. They were self-quarantined in their homes. They were hiding because they feared something might come and kill them. We ought to be able to identify with that clearly in our day. But they were there scared to death, trembling, shaking, fearful. And yet, on that Sunday morning, on that resurrection Sunday morning, when they saw the risen Christ, when they heard that the grave was empty and that stone, that huge stone that had been rolled in front of it and guarded by Roman guards, when they heard that that stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty, 
There was no body there. Their lives were changed with a joy and an anticipation and with a memory of everything he had told them before he was crucified. Everything that he had said would happen began to take shape. They began to understand. They didn't understand before the resurrection. But after the resurrection, their lives were changed. And so for evidences, you've got the empty tomb, you've got the appearances, you've got the changed lives, you've got his predictions being fulfilled, you've got the evidence of the Old Testament scriptures that Paul refers to here and relies upon. But another proof of this is the lack the lack of any compelling, what I might call counter evidence. As I said earlier, men have tried to bring counter evidence for generations. It's just not there. They just not, cannot answer the reality of the risen Christ. That is the essence of what we celebrate this morning as we worship together. John Stott said, Christianity is, in its very essence, a resurrection religion. The concept of resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. And that's why they try to do that. A Christian is someone who believes in the physical, bodily resurrection of Christ. And, and, and they live their lives. A Christian lives, lives his or her life in light of that truth, in light of the implications of that event. What a, what a glorious truth. You say, well, do you have to believe in the resurrection to be a Christian? Hmm. Seems like Paul said something about that in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a matter of cardinal faith. It's a matter of it being a central tenet of our Christian faith. That Christ died for our sins. Was buried dead, buried, and dead. And then on the third day, he rose again. The cross and the resurrection are inseparable. They are, in one sense, two sides to the same coin, that you cannot separate them from one another. The cross brings about our justification. The resurrection brings about our sanctification and our filling with this Holy Spirit and, and our understanding of what it means to walk with Him. If you look at the book of Acts, even though today in our day the resurrection many times is not so clearly delineated and discussed, if you look at the book of Acts, you find that that is central to every sermon that is found there. Every single one. They point to the resurrection. When Paul went to Mars Hill, they, they, they wanted to throw him out of town because he declared there was a resurrected Christ, that Christ had risen from the dead. And then he engaged them for all their idols and all their false gods and even their one idol to an unknown God. He said, let me tell you who that unknown God is. He's the one who rose from the dead. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is that practical side of the resurrection of Jesus that, that many of the historic documents of the church point to and refer to. And I want you to see what, what the Heidelberg Catechism, one of my favorite historical documents, written in 1563 at the height of the Reformation. This is what 
the catechism says in question 45. The question is, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? That sounds like something a 21st century Christian would ask. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How does it help me that Christ is risen from the dead? Well, the catechism answers it this way. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. In Romans 4.25, Paul says, For he who was delivered over because of our transgressions, because of our sin, and was raised because of our justification, because God was doing a work in us. Or Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, listen, God raised him and God brought us and caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. It's important because it has practical meaning for our Christian life. second thing the catechism says is by his power... We too are already raised to newness of life. Again, Romans, Paul writing to the Roman Christians in Romans 6 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, from the penalty of sin. Christ has set us free. So the power of the resurrection is what now dwells in us. Paul said to the Philippian Christians, you know, that I may know him, that is know Christ, and know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed even to his death power that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave. The power that made him alive again after a horrific crucifixion is a power that dwells in your life and in my life if we are in Christ. It's the same power that by a spoken word created everything that there is. It's a power that gives us strength to live daily living. Or as Paul said to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 2 verses 4 through 7, But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The resurrection has a practical, present-day effect, not just an eschatological effect. And then thirdly, the catechism says that 
Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed hope and our blessed resurrection in the last day or when Christ returns. We know that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's, that's the present reality truth of, of the resurrection uh, in our lives today. But we also know that on that last day when the trump shall sound and Christ shall come again, the dead in Christ will be raised and the bodies will be enlivened once again in that glorious, blessed hope. Paul said to Romans again in Romans 8, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies right now through His Spirit who dwells in you. Or Philippians 3, 20 and 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The resurrection points back three days to the crucifixion. It points back by saying everything He said Everything he taught, everything he did to show that he was the Messiah is true. It points back to the crucifixion to say, him hanging on that tree is the perfect Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist? At Jesus' baptism, John baptized him. Jesus comes up out of the water. And John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. Those Jewish ears that heard John the Baptist at that baptism, at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, three years before the crucifixion at least, when they heard John the Baptist say, Behold the Lamb of God, their ears perked up. They knew Jesus wasn't a four-legged creature. but They knew that that meant that he had come to fulfill everything that those lambs that had been sacrificed for centuries was pointing to. Every lamb, every day of atonement, every scapegoat was pointing to the fact that there was a real lamb coming, the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Easter, several things I would ask you. Have you considered the reality of Christ's resurrection? It is historical fact. But just believing that it's historical fact is not enough. Do you believe in your heart that the Lord God, creator and sustainer of all this universe that we live in and all this world we live in, that that God spoke into that tomb and raised Jesus from the dead? From the dead. Do you believe in your heart that that really makes a difference? Do you trust in Christ and Christ alone? Not in your ability to do good deeds, not in your ability to obey the quarantine laws and be a good citizen, not in your ability to feed the poor and 
Give a little bit to charity every now and then. But no, do you believe in your heart that all of those things, while they are good in and of themselves, give you no standing before God? It's only those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone. Now, when we trust Christ, works will issue forth from that. Deeds will follow. But it's putting our trust in Christ. It's believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's saying with our lips, with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. This Easter 2020, the strangest of all Easter's we've ever experienced. To my knowledge, never in the history of the Christian church have the churches, the buildings been empty. The church is not empty. Understand that. And Easter is not canceled. Resurrection Day is not postponed. We celebrate it with all great. And the church is scattered. The church is in the community, is in their homes. It's a building here that's empty, and, and buildings are empty around the world. The church is alive. And you know why the church is alive? The church is alive because Christ is alive. I would ask you this morning, are you alive in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you put your trust in Him? See, I'm not inviting you to Grace Baptist Church. You're not even here in this building. I'm inviting you to the one who can save, Jesus Christ, who is Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, holy God, creator, sustainer, and redeemer, we bow before you. Lord, there are people from Grace Baptist Church that are listening to this Easter service, rejoicing in the fact that we are a body, even though separated, we are together, we are in unity with you. Lord, there are many people perhaps watching that are not a part of Grace Baptist Church, maybe they're not a part of any church. Maybe they know you, maybe they don't. But Lord, I pray for those who are watching this broadcast who do not know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their hearts to see the truth of the resurrection, the reality of the, of the sacrifice that the resurrection confirms and points to. And Lord, where they're sitting, in their living room or looking at their device or whatever they're doing, They would cry out to you for mercy. They would call upon Jesus. Oh Lord, I need you. I want your life. I want your resurrected life being my life. I believe that you are Lord. I, I believe that you're raised from the dead. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want you to change my life like you did the Apostle Paul, like you did all those other disciples that were cowering in fear. I want you to give me the reality of your presence. Oh, Father, speak to us. What does this resurrection mean for us? It means that Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life 
in the world to come. Father, I ask you, do that work in lives this morning. Thank you, Father. As we sing together,